Welcome to IEQ Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry. Yes, the rules have changed. changed good day wherever you're listening from and welcome to indoor air quality radio iaq radio for friday march 19th 2010 this week episode 160 comes to you from studio b in beautiful coriopolis pennsylvania my name is joe hughes or radio joe and here with me in the studio is the z-man cliff slotnick it's always fun to work with you joe good day cliff we also have the intrepid environmental annie koalecki at the controls good afternoon hello annie today's segments include the microband trivia question Part two of our interview with Mr. Jim White of System Science Consulting and formerly with the Canada Mortgage Housing Corporation. We'll have our halftime with Clean Facts and Cleaning and Maintenance Management's Jeff Cross. And of course, Dr. Dieter will be joining us at the halftime. Then we'll go to the roundup and finish things up. We've been updating and adding a blog to the site every week. Check it out at www.iaqradio.com. Before we get started, we have to thank our sponsors. Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry, subscriptions, and advertising information available at ieconnections.com. Dry East Products, providing equipment for drying water-damaged homes and buildings. Dry East is first in drying solutions at dri-eaz.com. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop at John Don, J-O-N-D-O-N dot com. And our new marquee sponsor, Clean Facts and Cleaning and Maintenance Management, who provide management best practices and in-depth cleaning solutions to help keep readers ahead of the curve and successful in their daily operations. Visit them at www.cleanfacts.com and www.cmmonline.com for more information on these invaluable resources and to subscribe. Be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IEQ Radio when you inquire about their products and services. All right. To contact the show, if you want to call in, it's 724-444-7444. Most people just join through the uh, web and stream the show. Our show ID on TalkShoe is 1547. You can also download the show from our website or from iTunes. Don't forget, we also have those ABIH certification maintenance points. IICRC continuing education credits or ACAC renewal credits, just email me at joe.hughes at iaqtraining.com, and our email addresses are also on the web page. Last but not least, please visit the IAQ Training Institute website for the most current dates for the training you trust at iaqtraining.com. Let's turn it over to Cliff for today's microband trivia question. Thanks, Joe. Congratulations to the answer man, Paul Haas, from Morse Zentner, West Palm Beach, Florida, for properly identifying Gander as the airport which played an important role in 911. Win a cool prize by outcompeting fellow IEQ radio listeners and being the first person to correctly answer the microband trivia question. Submitting your answer is very easy. Simply email it to cliffz at Products. Now for the microband trivia question for Friday, March 19th, 2010. Canada is a country proud and passionate about the achievements of its athletes. Name the recipient named Athlete of the Decade by TSN, the Sports Network, in 1990. Back to you, Joe. Hmm. Sounds like a 
good one to me, Cliff. All right. Well, let's get back to our interview. This week, we've got part two of our show with Mr. Jim H. White of System Science Consulting up in Kentville, Ontario. Mr. White spent almost 20 years at the Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation. Uh, he has joined CMHC in 1981 as their manager of engineering research, and while at CMHC, he designed and managed numerous housing and health studies, including the first reports on chemical sensitivities and housing. Jim is considered to be one of the top building science experts in the world. His degree is from the University of Toronto in engineering physics. For those of you that did not join us last week, we covered information about who CMHC is, some of the early research Mr. White was a part of, and we're thrilled to have him back this week to focus on the About Your House publications available through the CMHC. We have some intro music for our guest, Jim. Jim, do we have you on the line? Hi there. Hello. Good day, and welcome back to IAQ Radio. Cliff's got the first question for you, Jim. Yeah, uh, Jim, I really liked uh, your White's first law last week, and I commented on it in the blog I did after the show, and I just wondered whether there were any other laws or you know, perhaps there's a White's second law. Yeah, well, White's second law I used to use sometimes to see if I could get the know-it-alls out of uh, conference rooms that were overloaded, and that's uh, the majority of what we know isn't true, and uh, that that upsets some people who think they know everything. Uh, <clears throat> but uh, the first corollary to uh, White's second law is actually the uh, we. Nothing that we think we know is uh, is true, but that's much too hard to take. <laughs> yeah, that's a tough one, Jim. All right. Let's let's go back to um, the, the series about your house in the uh, on the CMHC website. I I was on there for hours here and then talked to you for quite a bit about it. But the first thing I want to ask is. It said uh, in one of the documents I read that you developed the performance concept, the house as a system. Can you tell us why it's so important to look at the house as a system when you're assessing indoor air quality, efficiency, and durability issues? Yeah, well, it's um, it, you can actually not go to a conference on housing or other buildings uh, anymore without getting sort of house as a system or building as a system uh, sessions. Because uh, basically, whenever you try to move heat or air uh, or moisture, um, they're all interconnected. And as a matter of fact, the uh, envelope of the house is usually, even in a fairly leaky house, so tight that anything you do indoors uh, impacts not just what you're trying to do, but other things as well. So um, you can't re-insulate, for instance, without... Uh, doing something about the marginal moisture problems because uh, the heat loss quite often was what was uh, keeping your house from rotting. It was just moving the moisture right on out. And when you re-insulate, the moisture still is there, but the heat loss isn't. Okay. Cliff? Um, Jim, do you feel that homeowners should be concerned about humidity in their homes? And if so, how would you recommend that they measure it? Yeah, well, what we did was the first field study in the world that proved that moldy houses did make people sick. Um, that was the Wallaceburg study we discussed, discussed at the last session. Um, and any time things are too wet for too long, they will grow mold. So uh, you have to control the level of humidity in your house, and uh, you can do that with a calibrated hygrometer, 
but you do have to calibrate the, the hygrometer. And there's a great reference for how to calibrate, and it's a simple one, too. Um, on the website, on, under the measuring the humidity in your home section of the About Your House publications, can you tell us real quick how, that, how that's done? Yeah, it's actually remarkably sim- uh, simple and very fun. Um, you put uh, salt in a cup, add enough water that, and stir it well so that all of the salt has not um, dissolved. So basically you have a saturated solution and then put that cup and your hygrometers that you want to calibrate into a freezer bag and leave it for a couple of hours or overnight. And they should all read 76% because uh, above a saturated solution of table salt and water, you should have 76% relative humidity. And if the reading isn't that, you just add a calibration number. Like if it reads 86%, then you have to take 10% off to get it down to 76 So um, you put that on your hygrometer, and uh, that's your calibration fa- factor for that hygrometer. Good. Nice, simple. Good. Absolutely. Good tip. Uh, sim- simple tip for our listeners. Cliff? Yes, Jim, what's hydronic radiant heating? Hydronic radiant heating is when you run um, pipes through uh, underneath the floor um, through channels that are, are put into it and usually separated with uh, some sort of material like insulation that will support the floor. Um, and then put uh, warm or hot water in, uh, through it. So basically you end up with a warm floor that is uh, heating not only the floor but uh, the air above it and some of the materials in, uh, that it can look at. It's, it's wonderful to uh, get out of bed in the middle of the night if you're an old man like somebody who's on the phone right now <laughs> and put your feet onto a nice warm floor when you head for the bathroom. You know, you live in pretty, uh, I guess, somewhat of a drastic uh, environment. It gets hot. You know, you, you have two temperature ranges in Canada. You have winter and you have the, the 4th of July. And, you know, when it's winter, it gets uh, pretty cold. Uh, do, you know, does this cause any stress to the you know, foundation of the house, you know, because the ground's really, really cold and the floor's really, really warm? Yeah, we, uh, some of the Canadian climates are rather interesting. Here, we're quite close to Ottawa, the capital, and we have periods of winter that are, are as brutal as Minnesota and parts of Alaska, and then we have summers, which, uh, if you don't mind my using those awful imperial units, uh, we can get above 100 Fahrenheit with uh, 90% relative humidity. So we stress our houses something wicked, and we've had to learn how to build good houses uh, or else. And that's pretty much what the series is all about, is, you know, how to build good houses or else, and... um, I just wanted, before we leave that subject, was there any other tips you wanted to give people with respect to how to make sure the uh, radiant floor heating doesn't cause problems for them? Um, Well, uh, uh, it often goes into basements, and um, that can be a a kind of a a major heat source if it hasn't been insulated below the basement floor. But um, the big thing, again, is to make sure that you have a control system on the heating system, um, the boiler and and its controls that puts just the right amount of uh, temperature into that water. And that's the beauty of the system is it runs continuously in the good systems uh, at low speed, just delivering enough heat to keep the thermostat from even budging. Absolutely wonderful sort of heating for those who, who like a comfortable house. And, and as I understand it from talking to you before, if, with the newer systems and the uh, delivery systems available, it can be done very energy efficiently as well? Yeah, some of the new boilers are way up around the 90% efficiency in turning uh, the heating value of the fuel into hot water. And um, <clears throat> they use an insulated uh, tank and a heat exchanger in the tank to uh, fire away at 
at 100% reading for short periods of time just to keep the water at the right temperature. So the, the boiler tends to run only at its, uh, its maximum efficiency, uh, of sometimes more than 90% uh, delivery efficiency. And then you were talking about having, having a, a variable speed delivery as well. Yeah, that makes it even nicer. It's not uh, as expensive as it used to be because some of the new DC motors uh, for pumps uh, and be controlled over a huge range. And uh, when you have to deliver a lot of heat, uh, the flow rate goes up. And when you have to deliver just a little bit of heat, the flow rate goes down. And the controller can control both the temperature in the tank and uh, the flow rate. So uh, a high range of heat deliveries are uh, available, all at high efficiency. Okay, Cliff's got one from the uh, After the Flood uh document from the series yeah jim why shouldn't you use bleach when cleaning up after a flood and what sorts of cleaning products and or antimicrobial products would you recommend well <clears throat> unfortunately uh, a long time ago now i introduced the concept of cleaning up with bleach thinking that people would treat it with great in, uh, uh, caution because bleach uh, fumes in the air actually attack our eyes and our skin and our lungs and, and do fairly serious damage if you uh, let the fume level get too high. Um, it's really nice to clean up with bleach because the um, molded areas usually end up looking almost as good as new and then if it ever gets wet again you can tell that it, you haven't solved the moisture problem. But people are not treating bleach with a great deal of respect, and that's a problem. So basically, what you want to do is get the surfaces very, very clean, and there are a number of uh, products, including the quaternary ammoniums and, uh, and a few other products that really do that well. And then you just make sure you don't have moisture problems. You've got to solve the moisture problems perhaps even before you do the cleanup. And uh, then it's unnecessary, really, to slop a whole bunch of chemicals for which we don't know enough and, uh, yet um, around. You just uh, clean very well um, and insist that uh, the people doing the cleanup uh, don't use any more chemicals than is absolutely necessary. What about from the um, Fighting Mold Homeowners Guide, Jim? There's a, there's a quick test in there that... Um, is recommended, I think, for homeowners and maybe even investigators could use it to confirm if a suspected uh, contaminant is mold or not. Can you tell us what that is and, and is that something that um, you've used in the past and is it helpful? Yeah, I've done it quite often. Um, anything that is uh, staining a surface and is biological is likely going to. I mean, there are exceptions, but not many. Um, turn clear or, or at least dramatically change color when you put a spot of neat bleach on it. So that's a case where you can use bleach. Just uh, dab a bit of, of neat bleach on it, and, and if it changes color, it's highly likely to be not, say, carbon soot from a furnace and, uh, that's spilling or whatever, but, but uh, a biological thing like mold. It really convinces people in a hurry that uh, you tell them that if this is mold, it is almost certainly going to change color dramatically. You put a spotted bleach on it, and they watch it change, and, and they're convinced. You know, I got a, a text message in. I just want to relay to you, Jim, uh, from Don Weeks, actually. And uh, he mentions that um, using while using bleach that um, you've, recommended making sure that people use an acid gas type of cartridge on their air purifying type of respirator and I think that's a great piece of advice for people out there doing any type of uh, remediation or even do-it-yourselfers that are going to use a little bit of bleach certainly you want to use the correct filter on your uh, respirator so thanks for that Don. Um, the next document is maintaining your heat recovery ventilator uh, there seems to be a really big emphasis on installing these HRVs. Um, how much of an investment is this, and, and how quick is the payback, Jim? Well, uh, 
I think most people are going to pay in the order of $2,000 to get a heat recovery ventilator installed uh, and connected to an existing forced air system. Now, the thing is that, of course, you've got to realize that if you have an inefficient motor fan set in the uh, circulation blower in the forced air system uh, that has to run continuously, uh, you might want to consider upgrading that little problem. But um, one of the advantages of a, a heat recovery ventilator is that if you air condition in the summer, and certainly around here we do, um, the amount of electrical energy that you save on the air conditioner um, during the cooling season is usually enough to run the motor blower uh, in the heat recovery ventilator all year round. So uh, any heat that you save in the heating season, of course, is free heat, and that tends to pay back quite quickly. Um, I've done the numbers for a couple of my clients uh, that had unhealthy houses, and uh, it looked like a, a simple payback of less than five years was going to be what they saw. Uh, that changes in with the climate, of course. Earlier this week, Jim, I thought I hit the lottery. I got a check for eleven thousand uh, dollars in the mail, but it was from my insurance company, and it dealt with uh, ice dam damage uh, uh, that I had on my home. Uh, what's the best way to fix ice dam problems? Yeah, there, there, there's a, both a, a good guide in the About Your House series and uh, there's a research highlight as well for, for those who want to go better. But most ice dam problems are caused by air leaks where hot air from the indoors uh, finds a way to leak up and blast against the bottom of the ceiling, usually uh, uh, from a partition wall or uh, a poorly sealed top plate on an outside wall. And so if you see icicles and if you see local ice buildup or ice buildup along the area, you know you have air leakage. So basically you have to solve the air leakage problem that is blowing the hot air uh, at the bottom of the roof. And uh, up here quite often what's, uh, what's the most successful is somebody goes up, breaks the insulation away from the uh, top plate of uh, the outside walls and the partitions, sprays a little bit of urethane foam as, uh, as basically an air sealing uh, technique and puts the insulation back in look ma, uh, noise times, no, no icicles, no nothing. So would that, just, uh, would you still need something like an ice and water shield underneath your shingles or would that not be necessary after fixing the uh, air leaks? <laughs> um. Boy, if, if, it depends on how bad your problem was. Uh, I tell people that um, an ice shield on their, at their next re-roofing is most likely the smartest money that they ever spend because it really, in some cases, of course, is belts and suspenders when you just had local ice dams. But it, it really helps to... Uh, Make sure that water doesn't saturate the sheathing, drip down on the insulation, and screw it up. Um, it, it, it's a, a hard sell for people. They, they seem to think that uh, cheaper is better. But, but I think, personally, I tell people every time they do a re-roof is to uh, use ice shield on, on the whole uh, roof and uh, expect to... Uh, have their shingles uh, last longer because the water problem is more or less solved. Hmm. Now, when well, you know what I, I want to move on. That's attic venting, attic moisture, and ice dams. That's a, a great little resource on the About Your House section of the uh, CMHC website. The next one is soot staining on carpets. Just wanted to mention this one is available, Jim. But also wanted to give you an opportunity if you had anything that you wanted to uh, enlighten our listeners about with respect to uh, soot staining. Yeah, basically because our forced air ducting systems are usually uh, very, very leaky, quite often return air ducts actually are sucking away uh, at sections, pulling house air down through the carpet and into the return air. And surprise, surprise. Um, 
the dust gets left behind in the carpet. It makes a reasonably good filter. Uh, so actually, it's quite easy to tell sometimes where return air leaks in the ducting are by, by just seeing those stains in the carpet. Jim, I got a question. I'd like to just a ask something about the soot staining. Um, does the organization have anything on candles and and soot staining, you know, related to candles? Any documents uh, that you're aware of there? Oh my goodness, I forget. Certainly, I have <laughs> for my clients. Uh, uh, basically, trying to tell them that candles normally produce significant amounts of soot unless they're very, very high quality, say beeswax candles that burn very cleanly and, and, and they're regularly trimmed. Um, doggone it. You know, I can't remember for sure. Okay. Well, I certainly know it was discussed because it, it can be a serious problem. You know, I, I wanted to ask too, Jim, these, uh, you know, obviously we're only going to get through the uh, About Your House today if we get through them, and, and I've been skipping a lot of them, just so listeners know. There's a lot more of these on the website. My question is, were these all developed as the result of research or based upon research that was done by your group prior to putting these up, or were some of them just kind of common sense things that were developed that uh, didn't need any research? <laughs> well, nobody likes to do things differently, so in most cases we had to do the research. Uh, a research was done, a research report was delivered. If, in fact, it looked like an awful lot of people were going to be interested in it in the technical side, like the builders and the renovators, um, then a research highlight was developed, and uh, for the consumer, and actually for many people who in the industry also, and about your house. So almost all of the uh, About Your House series can be traced back to research that was done either at CMHC or elsewhere. We don't mind stealing really good research uh, from wherever we can get it, and uh, for instance, the the research that was done, uh, I believe it was out of LBL uh, in, in California, about um, where they did uh, tracer gas testing uh, uh, of the air coming up from those leaks and causing ice damming. Um, we didn't feel that we had to completely repeat that because it was well done and that was, that was good enough to, for us to use it as a research highlight and a and in about your house. Okay. And I just want to, I think the acronym police were getting a donut. The LBLs, the uh, Lawrence Berkeley Laboratory? Right. Okay. We have a thing called the acronym police, Jim, but you've been really good about not hitting us with too many of those. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> not a problem. Insulating your house. Um, there's a big push on now for, you know, energy efficiency here in the States. And, um, you know, we've been marketing this program as, you know, he who ignores history is doomed to repeat the mistakes of the past. And um, you went through the same process uh, years ago, I guess, after the first uh, energy embargo or whatever. I'm not even sure exactly when. And you learned a lot of things about what not to do when insulating your home. Can you tell us one of the most important issues or a couple of the most important issues to watch for when people are adding insulation to their homes? Yeah, making sure that you get the air leaks that are likely to cause moisture transport from the indoors and, and uh, siding venting um, on the outdoors because when you reduce the amount of uh, waste heat going through walls or any surface, you reduce the ability of the system to dry out if it ever gets wet. So you've got to stop or dramatically reduce the wetting. And uh, sorry, but it takes energy to dry things out. If you don't want to waste energy, then you have to make sure things don't, in the structure don't get wet. Um, that I almost got fired for suggesting that initially. CMHC um, supported me against another uh, federal, uh, federal agency. Um, I said, I'm sorry, but I mean, you can't change the physics. It takes energy to move moisture, so you solve the moisture problem before you insulate or you wait for things to rot. 
And that's good words of advice, and that's a good segue into our halftime segment here, Jim. So we're going to uh, come right back to you in a moment, but before we do, we've got to uh, go to halftime. And uh, we want to first of all thank our sponsors, the Indoor Air Quality Association, a nonprofit multidisciplinary organization dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. Visit them at iaqa.org. Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions, who use advanced sensor software technology and embedded computers to provide superior environmental test instrumentation. Visit them at wolfsense.com. Pro Restore for cleaning, odor removal, and antimicrobial products remediators trust and depend on. Visit them at prorestoreproducts.com. Legends Environmental Insurance Services, the experts in insurance for environmental consultants and contractors for over 20 years. Learn about them at legends-enviro.com. And, of course, our marquee sponsors, Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry, subscriptions and advertising information available at ieconnections.com. Dries Products, providing equipment for drying water-damaged homes and buildings. Dries is first in drying solutions. Learn about them at dri-eaz.com. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop at jondon.com. Clean Facts and Cleaning and Maintenance Management Magazine, your source for cleaning and maintenance news. Visit them at cleanfacts.com and cmmonline.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IEQ Radio when you inquire about their services and products. In fact, I believe we've got uh, a guest coming in for halftime from the Clean Facts and CM uh, Cleaning and Maintenance Management folks. Do we have Jeff Cross on the line? Hello, Jeff. Hello, Joe and Cliff. How are you guys doing? Great, thanks. I wasn't sure. We, we didn't get a chance to touch base before the show, so I was hoping that was you and that you were on. Great to hear from you. What's new in the cleaning business? Oh, I think things are popping back. Talking to cleaners and restorers, it seems like they're getting busier. So after the past couple of years, it's nice to see that kind of news come out. It would seem on the restoration side that this bad winter has brought uh, restoration people and remediators some business, at least in the Northeast. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Are you seeing, um, I'm curious too, with respect to uh, subscriptions and advertising, do things seem like they're picking up again? I assume you had a little trouble over the last couple of years. Most people did, but maybe, uh, maybe you avoided that. We, we uh, did pretty well, I would like to say. Uh, of course, everyone has their challenges, and the economy hit everyone, but uh, we're doing well. The magazine pages are up, and we're, we're uh, producing some good material, which draws subscribers, and that's where it's all at, making everyone happy, helping them with their businesses. Mm -hmm. Well, I've been telling people for years, Jeff, and I'll just repeat it now. If you don't get the uh, daily clean facts um, email that comes out with the headlines sure. from the day, uh, definitely you want to grab that thing. I've been keeping up on cleaning issues that way for the last 10 years. So appreciate the good work and joining us here today and uh, also for being a new sponsor. Hey, we appreciate being a, being one of your sponsors. And I have to tell you, after listening to the uh, discussion about heated floors, I have to find my wool socks. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good, Jeff. All right, let's All right. move on. Cliff, I think we've got a letter to the publisher to the co-hosts I, I guess yeah uh received a letter today which i think is worthy of, of sharing with our listeners it's addressed joe and cliff consider the opposite of the theme of he who ignores history etc quote those that ignore history may be throwing out the baby with the bathwater." unquote you both can appreciate a stroll through memory lane and the rich lessons that pop up with today's knowledge and needs also, we have all lamented the wasted time and energy by watching or even doing the reinvention of the wheel routine. We know this should be avoided, but it happens with policymakers in the government, regulators, trade associations, standards organizations, and companies. The point to capture is that there are wonderful diagnostic, avoidance, remediation, and prevention technologies and programs that have come and gone for various business and sometimes political reasons. I call these, quote, gems in the closet, unquote. The scientific problem-solving method starts with an observation, a hypothesis, and then a review of history. What has been done for the good and for the bad? The premise that only the best survives fails the reality test 
because the needs, real and understood, change as well as our collective ability to understand what is before us. Point being, we don't just want to avoid the mistakes of the past, but we should mine the past for some of the left behind gems, a kind of resource recovery initiative. I often challenge my techie friends by asking, what were you working on 10 or even 20 years ago that really excited you? Today may be the day to use what was on or seemed like a great idea back in the past. You might find the story in those thoughts. Best regards, Kurt, W. Curtis White, IEQ, Aegis, Environmental Management. And thanks for that, Kurt. I thought it tied in nice, and so did Cliff, to our theme with Jim White. Let's bring in Dr. Dieter and bring Jim back on the line here and see what Dr. Dieter's got to say. Good afternoon, Dieter. Yeah, hi, guys. How are you doing? Great, thanks. How are you? Uh, it's that is interesting, and uh, you know, it's uh, sometimes it's good to have a couple of old guys like Jim and me, <laughs> And you know, I'm sitting here and I listen to Jim and yeah, all to do this and that and the other. And we, have, I'm flabbergasted to learn that we in the year 2000 uh, don't know how to build houses. We have been building terrific buildings for the last, what, 3,000 years or something like that. And I'm well aware of uh, the fact that the building uh, materials and structures and designs change. I'm very aware of that. But I, I, it, like, like Jim said, there are so many things which are common sense. And like Joe always says, common sense is quite frequently not very common. Uh, I like uh, the calibration uh, 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 method of uh, uh, Jim over there. I still do it the old-fashioned way with a sling psychrometer. <laughs> it never needs a battery. It never needs calibration. And it tells me what the relative humidity is. Um, I, I, I was interested, and I think I like this. He mentioned that you have, you know, variable flow rates depending on the uh, on the need in a room that you want to either cool or you want to uh, um, heat with a variable flow rate of either air or water through yeah through pipes wherever they are and uh, I hope they're not in the ceiling. I I've seen once a house where somebody had put. Uh, the uh, heating coils into the ceiling. That worked very nicely, I tell you. And you certainly didn't have warm feet when you had to get up at night. <laughs> Other comment that I also liked is, you know, there are 10,000 chemicals out there. Most of us know how to use salt and pepper, and we think that we know how to use bleach. And um, uh, there are so many chemicals out there. If people would... I don't know, maybe we should teach that in, 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 in grade school or in high school or something like that. Um, you know, bleach can be a very useful uh, a, a chemical if you know what you're doing with it. You don't mix it with this and that and the other, and you don't uh, use a gallon of it in a bathroom, which is uh, six by eight feet or something like that. I uh, remember years ago, I was the proud owner of one quart of Durspan concentrate. Now, I know how to make a 0.5% solution. Many people think that 0.5% solution is almost the same as a 5% solution. <laughs> that damn decimal place again. Yeah, Jim could verify um, that decimal place. Uh, the Dow Chemical uh, uh, Corporation doesn't make Durspan anymore. For, every, for everything they sold, uh, they got 10,000 lawsuits. And I used it very successfully in my house, and I knew what I was doing. I like, and I don't have it in my house, and I think that's the way to go with that heat, um, uh, heat or for that matter, cold recovery. That, is, uh, that interests me, and I'm glad to hear that you know, the payback is not 20 or 30 years. It is much shorter, which is great. What else? What can I tell you about candlestick? Yeah, get good, good candles and only use them during Christmas. 
when you have your uh, fireplace going, then you have a lot of ventilation in that area, and the soot doesn't go upstairs and it goes up where it belongs in the chimney. All right, Dieter. Well, hey, can we bring you back for uh, the roundup? I shall be here. Okay, Dieter, let's get Jim back on the line. Jim? Yeah. We still have you there? Okay, great. Uh, let's uh, First, any comments on the halftime, uh, anything that came up at halftime? No, I, I think that was uh, all good stuff. All right, very good. Well, let's uh, let's move on to the next document we we want to talk about, and that that is your furnace filter. Another one of uh, Dr. Dieter's favorite things here. Um, do I find this document really interesting? And then our our discussion of it we had earlier really interesting. Um, do furnace filters make a big difference in the amount of particulate in a home? Well. If you're using a standard furnace filter, which is really designed to keep hair and lint and large particles out of the furnace heat exchanger and motor when when motors uh, uh, were open and air-cooled, the answer is no, not until uh, they're almost completely plugged with dirt and then finally they start taking out uh, dust that matters. But you can go to premium filters, down around MER5 or so, um, that um, really do a good job. It's only the fine and very fine and ultra-fine particles that likely cause a health issue. Uh, The big stuff doesn't really matter. Um, So when you change from a furnace filter to a premium filter, you can start to take a significant amount. They're not highly efficient, but they do still take out a significant uh, amount of the very fine and the ultra-fine particles um, after they get a little bit dirty. So one of the interesting things about uh, them is that uh, they work better when they're, when they're a bit dirty. So with the, the MERV ratings now, what... what level or what uh, MERV rating do you typically recommend for people to use in their residential properties? Initially, I think you try with MERV 5. An awful lot of my clients whose houses were making someone in their house sick find a dramatic improvement, and if they want to go better, then I tell them what to do is to increase the size of the down leg from the return air duct and put, uh, you know, double the size of the down leg in area and put in uh, much better uh, efficiency filters, maybe a heap of filters four or six inches deep and maybe even a couple of charcoal filters below that. The, the rules of, uh, of pressure drop say that if you double the area for the same flow rate, the pressure drop uh, is reduced by four times. And the amount of power that you're having to take out of the poor motor fan set uh, varies by an 8 to 1 reduction. So if you want to go to the big uh, high-efficiency filters, you really should seriously consider uh, putting in a higher uh, size uh, down leg, and then you can do it without overloading the furnace filter, furnace fan, I mean. Okay. Jim, I just want to mention this next document because I get asked about this all the time when I do these courses. It's a sample renovation contract that is on the on the website available for free and uh, from what you've told me that was reviewed by the attorneys and it's all good. We should obviously have our local attorney look at it or at least have someone in the U.S. look at it I guess but uh, that, that's a great document free for and I assume it would work well for not just renovations but you could convert that to a, a mold remediation contract or a water damage restoration contract, etc. Would you agree? Yes, I do. It, it would be great for that. It's a, it's a really tremendous resource. So that's the sample renovation contract. The next one is the energy efficient upgrade mechanical systems document. Cliff, did you want to uh, touch on that one? Okay. What is the most important changes that can occur in the performance of the house as a system, the house is a system, when you upgrade the mechanical system? <laughs> well, you open a great big can of worms. Um, what happens is we found that most uh, furnaces and air conditioners are oversized. 
when you do an upgrade in in the rest of the house to reduce the uh, amount of heat loss and the amount of heat gain um, in the hot weather, um, you start to run the existing heating and cooling equipment at uh, even uh, less often than it normally was, and the comfort level goes down. Isn't that brutal? Here, here you did all those good things, and um, the comfort levels goes down unless you make sure that the furnace that goes in uh, is uh, sized according to a new uh, heat loss thing and that the air conditioning that goes in has been properly sized, like maybe a quarter or a third of what used to be needed. Um, otherwise, the funny thing is that the comfort level gets worse uh, when you leave the big oversized equipment in. All right. Jim, I'm going to run by a couple others just to let people know that they are there. There's energy efficient upgrades for the building envelope. Um, should you get your heating ducts cleaned, which is, I think, actually, actually after looking at it, pretty similar to the EPA document. Um, any comments on that one? Yeah, that um, you, there's one place where you don't want to save money. You want to find the best duct cleaner. If you really need duct cleaning, what you want is the best duct cleaner you can find, not the cheapest. Um, you don't have to clean ducts very often, but when you do, you want to make sure that it's done meticulously well because um, breaking through a crust uh, of old dust and then leaving the rest there will actually increase the amount of fine respirable dust uh, that can get deep into your bums that's in the air for a long time after the duct cleaning. You don't want to do that. Okay. Cliff? Yes. Uh, Jim, can you comment on an inexpensive test method for airflow and what type of situation that you've used this method in to resolve problems? Yeah, it's kind of fun, actually. Um, many people say, you know, I can't uh, heat or I can't cool this particular uh, room. And I take a garbage bag using the garbage bag test method uh, on, on the uh, About Your House series and a, and a wire hanger and a bit of duct uh, tape and, and make a bag and crumple it and put it over top of the supply register. And you time how long it takes for the bag to inflate, and then there's a little table there that says what the uh, what the flow rate is and then I get them to close the bedroom door say if it's a bedroom and we find that uh, you can't live long enough for the bag to inflate so supply surprise 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 if you're not delivering any air to the room when the door is closed you're not going to be able to heat or cool it are you there you go. So that's an inexpensive method. It's called testing airflow, and that's another one of the great documents on the website. The next one is uh, water damage, mold, and house insurance. Just curious, uh, Jim, is, is homeowners insurance in Canada, you know, similar to what we deal with here in the U.S.? Yeah, it's starting to get like that. It used to be that um, your insurance policy covered uh, mold problems. Um, now it's virtually non-existent and in many cases you can't even buy mold uh, insurance but the one exception is that if in fact through the fault of the insurance company that a, a, a moisture damage problem is not uh, started into clean up and dry soon enough and the mold grows because the insurance company dragged their heels and and uh, didn't start restoration quickly enough, which, by the way, is within a day or so, um, then, in fact, sometimes people are covered. But, man, that's, that's nasty. Um, trying to get coverage for mole problems uh, in your insurance policy seems to be very difficult. Okay. I also wanted to mention there's a uh, good document called Avoiding Basement Flooding uh, and another one for fighting asthma in your home. Just before we go to this next document uh, on the list, Jim, any comments on either of those two documents? Well, there's an awful lot of uh, advice. Interestingly enough, just sloping the surface of the, uh, of the soil next to your house can often prevent a leak, even though, in fact, the basement wall is cracked. 
um, it's such a remarkably inexpensive thing that you can do with a case of beer and a, a load of topsoil. <laughs> a case um, of beer and a load of topsoil. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, a case of beer is to get the friends to come over and ask what you're doing, and then you give them a shovel. <laughs> I got you. Yeah, see, yeah, yeah uh, fighting asthma, my story is uh, what you should do is to try to solve the, mo- the moisture and dust problems in the house before you go out and, and spend a lot of money on testing. It's only if you've done something significant about reducing the dust load and the, and the moisture problems in your house and, and your occupants still have asthma that you should consider doing testing. Okay, Cliff? Well, not everyone can afford to have homeowner's insurance. Uh, it's not unusual for some people to be uninsured and have a fire. Do you have any tips on what not to do after a fire? Oh, goodness. Um, try to just um, coat uh, fire-damaged materials uh, with, uh, and, and not replace them. Replacing fire-damaged materials tends to be the smartest thing in the long run um, if you've got any sensitivities in, in the occupants at all. Uh, and, and certainly delaying doing something so that you end up with mold everywhere because you didn't get things uh, uh, torn out and dried out is, is the big mistake that many people do. They wait weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks because they're not sure. Um, basically turning the house into a total catastrophe instead of uh, a, a, a sizable problem. Jim, could you comment your, your personal opinion on the hazards of soot, you know, the respiratory hazards of soot, you know, fire-related particulate? Yeah, big stuff. The big stuff um, is is not likely a problem. It's likely going to be annoying because it's in your. It'll come out in in your nose, uh, and you. But people are still doing research, and this is one area where research really needs to be done. Fine particulate, including fine uh, soot, can be really seriously a problem because. It can have coating on it, very, very large surface area. So fine soot has got a huge surface area for a given amount of, of soot. Um, and bring in toxic uh, chemicals right deep into your lung, where, in fact, the transfer into the bloodstream is almost 100%. That's, that's not nice. So, so the really fine soot could, can be part of the fine dust problem that is serious. Okay, we've got another one here called Renovating Your Basement for Livability. Um, I think I'm going to skip over that one, though, Jim, and and I want to get your comment on setback thermostats, which is another one of the series. Yeah, whether or not they're of much use in saving energy uh, depends on what your house is like. If, in fact, it doesn't have much thermal mass indoors and and doesn't have, say, um, a drywall and isn't reasonably well insulated, then in fact, uh, and you can tell just by, by watching the temperature drop, turn the heat off uh, for, for eight hours and, and plot the temperature. And, and if it drops uh, a fair bit, then in fact, uh, setback thermostats, interestingly enough, will save you money. If it drops quickly for the first two degrees and then hardly changes at all, um, what happens is that uh, the furnace is going to run like mad when it comes back up again, and you may save virtually no energy at all. Well, much less than everybody calculates. And so um, if, if your house is fairly massive indoors, uh, a lot of good heavy materials indoors, um, setback thermostats don't help much. Uh, we've got a text question, Jim. Could you comment on setback and dew point for potential moisture problems? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, setback hand-in-hand uh, hand with, say, older couples of, of partly closed off and only, only partially heated couple of bedrooms can result in massive condensation in those rooms and on poor windows. Um, that stay wet enough, long enough, the materials around to really grow nasty mold. 
So it's the worst possible con uh, combination. You actually see people using uh, setbacks and, and also running some rooms way cooler than other rooms. Um, that's a no-no in most houses and will result in sick occupants. You can do it if you really want to get sick and leave this planet a little bit early, but I don't recommend that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jim, we're, we're getting close to our roundup here. Um, let me do, I'm going to ask one more question. It's about the attached garages and IAQ document. And then we've still, we're, we're getting close, but uh, we've got a long way to go. But um, we've got to do the roundup in a moment. What are some of the most surprising findings that, that you uh, discovered when you did research on attached garages? Oh, just how well connected they were to the house. Uh, there were cases when people installed carbon monoxide sensors in the house, and they panicked because every time they started the car in the garage uh, and the wind was towards the garage and, and drove the car out and closed the garage door, uh, the CO alarms would go off. Um, that they were finding that they could smell the tires uh, or, or the lawnmower gas uh, from lawnmowers stored in the wintertime in the garage indoors. And what we found is that there were often huge leaks uh, around the uh, first floor header um, that really allowed anything released in the garage to make its way in the house when the wind pressures were in the right direction. All right. Well, let's go to the roundup, and then we'll go around the, the horn here, and uh, we'll get one more question in and maybe a comment from Dr. Dieter. And I'm already getting comments that we need to bring you back for round three, Jim, which we, we've talked about. And I've got a, a text question I want to get to in the roundup. Move him on, hit him up, hit him up. Move him on, move him on, hit him up, raw high. Cut him out, ride him in, ride him in, let him out, cut him out, ride him in, raw Okay, let's go to our technical director, Dr. Dietrich Wild. Dieter, any questions or comments? Just a couple of uh, comments, and I think they are important uh, comments uh, which Jim made. And the one is with the oversized air conditioning system. My neighbor, I, I got in a new one, and uh, the guy who installed it, he knows what he's doing, and we made the right calculations and estimations and so on. And he said, oh, no, your air conditioner is much too small. I'm going to buy a bigger one. You know, he's not very happy with it. Uh, I, our houses are, for all practical purposes, the same. They basically have the same insulation. They were built 35 years ago. And uh, yeah, mine is, I think, a ton and a half, and I think his is three and a half ton units, uh, which is absolutely uh, uh, ridiculous. And uh, he notices it, you know, it's, 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 the air conditioner just doesn't work. It works for two minutes, it cools us down, and there's no uh, water loss, which you are really paying for, or want to have. The other interesting thing is that I noticed when I put in my new furnace, uh, we needed a new plenum, and, and uh, the, the old furnace was six feet tall, the other one is three feet tall. So we needed a connection between the ductwork and, uh, and the new uh, uh, heater, the new furnace. What surprised me is after 30 years, I took in my flashlight and I looked all over the place. There wasn't really a lot of dust or dirt or caked on stuff in there, which is amazing. And uh, Jim mentioned it too, the, uh, the filters, yeah, which you should change every month or something like that. The months that cost, you know, the 99-cent variety. They, 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 they don't do anything uh, to protect your lung. They are there to protect the equipment. And uh, But even there, I couldn't see anything. The one place where I see some dust collected is in the return register. So... Um, that, those are interest, or those are things that have to be con uh, considered. And if we don't learn from the past, 
then we make all the mistakes that the other people made in, uh, before us one more time, and then we can document it and put it on the computer. All right. Dieter, let me ask Jim a question that kind of um, relates to what you were talking about here. Jim, when you uh, went through these projects, research projects, um, with changing out HVAC systems and in particular furnaces, can you comment on the size of the, um, uh, oh geez, the chimney, the stack, I'm, I'm not thinking of the right term, but um, when you change a the furnace, flu. the flue, yeah, thank you, Cliff. Um, do we also have to be concerned about the size of our flu when we do that? Yeah, absolutely. The Canadian standards for, uh, for oil and wood uh, are now based on research that I, I did while I was at CMHC. And there's both a, a maximum uh, allowable size as well as a minimum size. And, and especially if you downsize your uh, heating output of your furnace and you have uh, a too large uh, a flue area, well, by the time the flue gases slowly wind their way up that chimney, there's massive condensation, not only of water, but, but unburnt, uh, partly burnt hydrocarbons. Yes. And that's an aw shit, if you'll pardon the... <laughs> that's a highly scientific. It's just one word. You know, when you see that, sometimes when you look into a, a, a chimney uh, when they've downsized, uh, you know, you, you can't help yourself. You come out with that word. But it, it's, it's bad news. You shouldn't do that. Uh, pay the extra to have a proper liner go in, you just won't believe how much uh, longer you can go before ever getting any problems uh, in, in the exhaust system. And let's face it, there are some nasty things in there we want to be exhausted. We don't want them in our breathing air. Absolutely. Jim, Let me. I've got some text questions here, and then I'm going to let Cliff do his final question. Um, when we were talking about the setbacks and dew point uh, and moisture problems. There was another text question that came in that asked about the effect on the neutral pressure plane. And, and we're going to do this for those that are a little more uh, familiar with these things. And then they asked, uh, there was another comment asking to comment on pressure planes. Uh, WUFI, WUFI can predict the hydrothermal gradient and CONTAM can predict air infiltration. Is there a model that can do both? So can you Cover, help us a little with those two questions. Oh goodness, I'm out of, I'm out of touch. I know that an awful lot of work has gone into that. I think there is a, a model, a John Charles model out of uh, National Research Council of Canada, um, is based on um, trying to predict where the neutral pressure plane is. It's it's really important, you know, because. Below the neutral pressure plane, the air leaks in when there's no wind, and, and above it, it leaks out. And, yeah, you can do very interesting things when you're doing renovation to move the neutral pressure plane up or down, and that can, um, unfortunately, when you move it way up, um, the house starts competing more effectively um, as a chimney. It can, uh, competing with the existing chimney and that's not good because then you you might know it not know it but you'd be living in the chimney okay you call the house <laughs> <laughs> cliff you want to wrap it up oh uh, sure uh jim can you we, we'd have some consumers that listen to the show but i think everyone might be interested in this suggestion um what is a good safe environmentally friendly way of cleaning a clogged drain Oh yeah, yeah. That's that's fun. Um, yeah, you you. There is a, a I'm about your house on that. You basically put uh, baking soda down the drain and then a cup of vinegar and and put the plug in. Mm -hmm. And uh, sometimes you actually have to uh, put your hand on the plug for a short while. Of course, there's a chemical reaction. It uh, it foams up massively, produces a lot of carbon monoxide, uh, carbon dioxide under uh, pressure. And uh, you can end up with a pretty clean drain that way. Mm -hmm. Then you just pour a bunch of water in to take what was loosened uh, away. That's a great and tip. And they're both 
consumables, uh, but but don't underestimate the sort of pressure that it can produce. I saw somebody do that, and, and I told them that I would suggest that they hold on to the drain plug. They didn't, and there was this beautiful end-up deposit on the ceiling above the sink. <laughs> it's like a champagne bottle. <laughs> <laughs> Jim, we'd already discussed this before um, one of our guests uh, recommended it. We, we've got to bring you back for round three uh, down the road here. But before we go, is there anything before we go today that you'd like to add that we didn't cover? Well, we've covered a heck of a lot of ground, haven't we? Yes, um, we did. <laughs> I'd like to say, though, I, I didn't believe you were going to cover as much as you actually suggested. But for the technical people on board, um, the research highlights on, on CMHC's website, are uh, um, they go into a significant amount more depth than some of these things. And, and I'm sorry, they actually are good reading. So I recommend that those who want to learn more from Canadian research, that the research highlights are free, and you can uh, browse them, and uh, I think like Joe found out, uh, man, there's some really good stuff there. I'll say, uh, you had me, if it wasn't for the Civil War this week, I would have been on the web all, all night for five nights in a row here, Jim. Uh, they're based, they're uh, bunched by year, actually. I've got them here. There's 2,000 all the way up to the current day, and it uh, looks like there were a lot more back in the 2000, 2001 era, but I'm guessing there's oh, 30 or 40 of them on uh, 2000 alone and then 2001. So a lot of great information. What I'd like to do at this point is, is first of all, thank you for joining us for two weeks in a row like this, Jim. We really appreciate having you, and I, I hope we can get you back again down the road. Yeah, you can. All right. Well, thanks so much. Before we go, I also want to let our listeners know that next week we're going to have Dr. Marilyn Black uh, joining us from uh, uh, the um, uh, Air Quality Sciences Group. I'm sorry I hadn't written that down, but uh, Dr. Black will be with us. We're going to talk a little bit about VOCs and odors and uh, some of Cliff's favorite topics, actually. Before we go, I also want to make sure I thank my co-host, the Z-Man, Cliff Slotnick. It's uh, a pleasure, Joe. Environmental Annie Koalecki for being at the controls, the wingman, Chris Boisel for being out there somewhere helping us. Of course, our technical director, Dr. Dietrich Weil. I want to thank Jeff Cross for joining us at halftime. And most importantly, you, our growing group of loyal listeners, please come back and join us next Friday at noon for the next broadcast of IAQ Radio. This has been another IAQ Radio production. 